dwellers in the fourth dimension and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy i am she who is emma he is he who is mike and today we're going to have a chat about the eaters of light but first before we do that we have some email business to attend it to yes from a friend of the show shane thomas and he writes about the monks trilogy and he says i largely agree with you both about the monks trilogy extremists the pyramid at the end of the world lie of the land was a big disappointment i think the reason for this is similar to the problems i had with the zygon 2 part from the last series Essentially, what Moffat seems to have attempted is a social commentary on the notion of authoritarian leaders in the world, which has echoes of fascism about them. I think that's where the whole idea of the monks needing consent comes from. As much as we may hate it, people like Trump or Theresa May were elected by the people, and a lot of these dictatorial sites, look at uh, Zuma in South Africa, Duarte in the Philippines, or Erdogan in Turkey, want to give the idea that they are adored by their public, hence the monks wanting their consent to be out of love. This isn't a bad idea for a story, but to pull it off, you need to have a forensic knowledge of the subject you're commenting on. You basically need to be a political scientist, a sociologist, and fiction writer all at once. That's why something like The Thick of It worked so well. Amanda Iannucci in his writing table had a broad knowledge of the pol- British political system to be able to satirise it. If you don't have this, your commentary becomes very shallow, two-dimensional, and won't resonate with the audience because it doesn't ring true. I suspect Moffat and his writers didn't know much about the current state of world politics beyond a few news reports. I say this because the, tr- the Monks trilogy and the Zygon two-parter, which was a thinly disguised commentary on terrorism, didn't do anything to educate or enlighten the audience on the specific issues. They don't appear to have any knowledge on these topics beyond what most of us already know, and need to be able to bring more to the table than that, otherwise any of us could do an equally bad job writing these episodes. It also does a disservice to their actors, who are doing their very best to try and make this shoddy material work. One thing I hope Chris Chibnall changes next series is to avoid directly using current events as inspiration for the episodes. If he doesn't avoid this, he's going to have to do a lot more research than just watch the 10 o'clock news. So thanks for that, Shane. Yeah, thanks for that, Shane. I mean, that's a really interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think he's... I, I agree with him up to a point, but I think as well what's limiting the commentary mm-hmm. is this whole the, the family show notion yeah. i mean it, it to be frank i think it's a problem to make a commentary on like you say some of these dictatorial people who are still elected you know, for example uh erdogan in uh, in turkey and mm-hmm. uh Duarte in, in in the philippines um it's like you say i mean i think that these writers are savvy enough to to be putting these things in but it's like um if if this show is pitched at people nine to ninety mm-hmm it's difficult to i'm sure they're writing stuff and then they're going hang on we've got to kind of hold ourselves back because Mm -hmm. this is too much for kids this is too much for saturday tea time yeah so that's why i think it i mean we've we've made this criticism of the show of the show as well that it you've got these big topics but they're entirely too simplistic which shane exactly is saying there and Mm -hmm. you know i i can't you know i can't disagree with him that the zygon two-parter was a very simplistic look at at terrorism wasn't it i mean um something again that i think we covered when we covered it um so i think unfortunately rightly or wrongly they feel a certain amount of constraint but then if you feel like you can't do the material justice Mm -hmm. then I don't know. I mean, because we've had Doctor Who cover quite weighty subjects. I mean, we talked about the Peladon, uh, two uh, sort of uh, the two Peladon stories. Mm-hmm. You know, one of which is you know a not very thinly veiled look at 
then the British entry to the European common market, mm-hmm. um, the Sun Makers, which was a you know a satire on the the Tory government of the time and things like that. Yeah. But it was one of those things in you know like in some children in in children's TV there'll be stuff they put in for the grown-ups which is like you know the odd dirty joke that the grown-ups get and the kid yeah. just sort of flies over your head and you watch them years later and as it, as an adult will go <laughs> bloody hell how did I miss that <laughs> um, so it's so hard I think it's so hard to pitch mm. these ideas so I understand that they they want to treat the young audience as intelligent viewers and sort of maybe spark a discussion in the house yeah but it's knowing where to pitch it Mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult and I think you know Shane is right to a point that they haven't been successful in mm. pitching it correctly at anybody as far as I know but the thing is I don't really have oh this sounds weird this has, I don't have a 10 year old to hand no. to, to hear their assessment of what they think the episode was about and mm. and what their view on it is and things like that and I think there's areas of the BBC which kind of cover those. Th- I mean, Newsround is a is a brilliant show. It's uh, for people who aren't in the UK. It's um, a children's news roundup show mm-hmm. they have on a, after school, sort of about five ish. And um, I'll tell you what, if you're an adult who do, who's you know the world is very complicated. If you're kind of struggling, watch an episode of Newsround <laughs> because the way they they explain it, it's not patronising at all, no. but it's pitched perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I feel like some if you want to what maybe these writers could benefit from actually getting the guys from the news round in <laughs> and saying look if you were if you were going to try and you know explain stuff like you know the ter- you know the, the terrible things that have happened in london over the last few months mm-hmm. you're trying to explain that to to kid audience where yeah. would you pitch it what sort of words do you use and weave that into the script because mm-hmm. you know i don't think you know us as 30 something sitting here well they wrote it shit they should stop writing it Mm. Unless they unless they're prepared to put in serious research, I just think they need to they kind of need to learn how to to pitch it to everybody, so it doesn't mm-hmm. come across as simplistic to us, but isn't like a geopolitical you know an A level essay to the kids watching it. Yeah, I, th- I think sort of like with the Zygon two part and the Monks trilogy, it, mm. it's sort of like pitching a little bit too high for the the kids, so yes. like we can sort of like follow it okay, but yeah. it I. Mm. Yeah, like you say, there needs to be like a balance. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a kid to ask about what they mm. thought about this whole idea of consent. Yeah. Because obviously, as as adults, there's many ways to interpret that. Obviously, there's the sexual interpretation of the idea of consent, mm-hmm. and like you say, like Shane's saying about the whole, you know, the democracy, con- you know, contract between people and the people in power. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, I think. You know, because we really struggle with that concept, but I wish I had a kid to ask and see yeah. what they made of it. To to be honest, because um, yeah, it, I I think they've they've struggled they've struggled with pitching it at, in at, in the right place. Hmm. Yeah. Um, see, that's the thing, though. I think Doctor Who, you know, it started off as an educational show, and I think it still mm. can be used in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, th- I think sometimes. Like with the the sort of topic, especially with the monk trilogy, and again with consent, it's far too much of like a weighty issue mm. to properly sort of explain. Um, because, like you say, it is one of those sort of terms that has multiple different meanings and connotations. Um, and I don't know, yeah, and like we say, we've said before, that's kind of like where the main fault of the monk trilogy lies. It doesn't really sort of like go. 
in the right way to explain what, what exactly the monks, monks deem as consent. Mm. Yeah, because well, I mean, I think that was a problem with the story. Yeah. It was a problem with the writing that we didn't understand what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that Shane is as as you know has definitely got a point there. That I think that I think the tr- the monk trilogy is maybe a kind of an egregious example because there's for for us three mm-hmm. and I think probably other people um, that have watched the series there there's so kind of so much wrong with the with how the monk trilogy turned out. Yeah, um, it, it it kind of goes beyond. You know the fact that their 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 worldview is simplistic or, mm-hmm. or things like this. For me, anyway. So yeah, yeah I mean, because you know we spent three episodes of this po- well two episodes of this podcast <laughs> complaining <laughs> about we didn't understand what they were going for. So yeah, um, yeah um, issues, many issues. Mm. Um, I mean, thing is, I'm sort of just as I'm sort of spitballing now, I'm just sort of thinking about you know how. Because you know me and you, you know as well as Doctor Who and stuff, kind of grew up watching Star Trek: Next Generation. Mm. And when they would do things like, you know, things the moral question type episodes, like yeah. things like Data's personhood, mm. or you know the episode of, uh, where Wolf is is paralysed and and wants to die, mm-hmm. and wants to be allowed to die, and you know, and, and things like you know, and lot lo- many episodes. I mean, I was watching that as you know as a kid you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And I I mean, I don't know. I just, I felt like it was, it was kind of, I could watch it and understand the plot. But then when I went back to it as an older person, mm-hmm. you know, or rewatches and or watching them over and over again, you get more out of it as you get older. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, maybe we should, you know, they should go rather than feel restrained by saying, okay, we've got a family audience, mm-hmm. just go hard at it. And the yeah. kids get out of it what they get out of it, and then as they come back to it, or as they sit down with their families and talk about it, because that's mm. what we used to, you know, in my family we used to, if we watch things all together, then you know, if it was something that was like a troubling kind of, you know, a moral question, yeah, like mum, mum and dad would sort of say to you, what do you think about that sort of thing, and you know, we would, you know, you, your, your, this is sort of how you sort of develop your ideas about things as you get older, right? So. Maybe maybe the answer is to just write the story you want to write, and then mm. the kids will catch you up. You know, they will yeah. rather than sort of go, well, you know, this eight year old's not going to get this, so we've got to dumb it right down. I feel like you know, you you've got to be able to trust the audience to go with it. Mm. But I mean, how many times have we heard from grown ups that they're not following these stories because it's too complicated? Mm. You know, so it's such a it's such a juggling act, isn't it? Yeah. But we don't run the show, so... We don't, no. We don't. So, <laughs> we don't. thank you for that, Shane. Appreciate yes, it, cheers, as always. Uh, so, let's get on with uh, The Eaters of Light by Rona Munro, back uh, yes. from the classic series. Right, so, yeah, back from the classic series, the first one, actually, mm. back from the classic series. And, well, I mean, she's barely the classic series, I mean, because she wrote Survival, yeah. the last the last uh, generally acknowledged classic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's okay. Let's start with the question because I saw this criticism online. Right. Is this just a seventh Doctor episode with the te- with the um, Peter Capaldi in it? Hmm. I I didn't really get that sort of vibe somehow. No, but I could see where people were getting the idea from. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of. There's a lot of this. Do you know what? I could see this more as the fourth Doctor story. Mm. Um, but 
I think it's, it was written well enough by Ronan. I think she got enough of a good handle on the Twelfth Doctor yeah. to make it like a properly his story. Because you can't really see like seven or four doing that bit where um, twelve Nardole is like surrounded by the Picts, and he says, "Do you hear that sound? That's the sound of my patient shattering to a billion tiny pieces." My favorite bit of the episode. Yeah, that was great because you sort of like think when he sort of like looks up. And, like, reaches his hand that you think he's going to, like, try and sort of, like, I think it was in, like, The Girl Who Died, where he sort of yeah. tries to, like, summon, like, the the Norse um, superstitions and mythologies and that. You think he's going to try and do that, but no, he just goes proper full-on Scottish. <laughs> yeah. No, I did enjoy that, because I thought, again, he was, like, exactly like you. I thought he was going to try and, mm-hmm. you know you know tend to be some sort of deity but no he's just saying that no i'm pissed off with you lot now um <laughs> because i do i do quite like this approach that you, that you, you get that the doctor's been in this case scenario so many times he's kind of skipping ahead mm-hmm. to all the <laughs> rather than trying to ingratiate himself with the tribe or pretend to be a deity or do any of this he's like right now i'm pissed off with all of you lot already and i've only been here two minutes yeah <laughs> um but like you say i think it's a really astute observation of yours actually that it's more full doctorish mm-hmm. because the whole idea of being surrounded but I mean, like you can definitely see the the fourth doctor was in this situation. You know, mm-hmm. take the swampies for example from yeah. uh, Kroll. You know, sort of being surrounded by primitive inverted commas people, literally, mm-hmm. and then kind of bamboozling them and chucking. You know, he's saying chucking the popcorn into the fire and running away. I mean, you can see him with offering a load of jelly babies around and just sort of talking until everybody kind of ends up going along with him. I mean, um, yeah, that's very fourth doctorish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but. Um, I would say that there was a touch of the Seventh Doctor's kind of mysterious man about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But and... I think that's generally Peter Capaldi's portrayal anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also it's like Murray Gold's score. We don't really talk much about Murray Gold's like music on the show, but um, no. there, was, there was a few sort of like bits where he's sort of like, he's sort of like flirting with like the score from Survival as well. Mm-hmm. Like with Especially with like the guitars. Um, so that was nice. But yeah... Um, yeah, I could. I, this 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 could easily like go either way, but I think Rowan Munro just like went flat out Scottish and just wrote for twelve. Yeah, I think she absolutely did. Yeah, um, I, I've got to say, if I had to give you a criticism of this episode, sort of up the top, I would mm-hmm. say this is maybe the most generic monster of the week Doctor Who show we've had for quite some time. Yeah. But I quite like the design of the Eater of Light. Uh, it was okay, wasn't it? I, yeah, you know, I mean, I it didn't it was... get to do much, yes, but no, no. I, I quite like the fact that, you know, it could have just been some bloke and some prosthetics. They actually went for a proper quadrupedal beast. Mm. You know, so I'll, I'll give them points to that. And they did use it quite sparingly because the, the CGI still, was still a little bit wonky, but, you know, you never really got a that great review of it until like near the end and mm-hmm. okay yeah some people like were complaining they got defeated a bit too easy but that, in a way i kind of feel like that's all right because it's an animal you know yeah. it's not like a cyberman or a dalek where it's got like a, like a rational thought process and go oh hang on i'm being lured into a trap here it's just going purely off instinct and you know and, it, and like the doctor says several times in the episode it's wounded it's hungry it's angry so yeah, it's, it's going to obviously have its base sort of urges. So, yeah, it was pretty easy to corral because it's an animal. Mm. So, well, I mean, you know, it's that thing of Blink, it's a singular mm-hmm. weakened weeping angel. 
Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of the same idea with this in that it's just one single weakened animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, um, I've got, I want to sort of give a quick shout out to our regulars sort of a bit earlier than we usually do in the show. I, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed Nardo on Bill in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think possibly a, a symptom of uh, Ronald Monroe giving, being given the character note sheet. Yeah. Um, a bit like I said last week. Bill's pop culture obsession rears mm-hmm. its head as we're here to find out the fate of the Ninth Legion, um, one of uh, one of history's mysteries, um, yeah. which is um, which has been subject of many books and TV and I mean, but I actually was waiting for her to shout out the Eagle, the film that came out in 2011 yeah. with uh, Channing Tatum in because it's about that. So I would say mm-hmm. if if Bill knew about it, it's probably from that film. Um, so. Yeah, um, so it's a real historical thing. The Ninth Legion disappeared somewhere, they think, north of Hadrian's Wall, mm-hmm. um, which at that point in, in history was deemed... You know, it might as well just had on the map, you know, here be dragons, yeah. because it was untamed, full of angry people mm-hmm. who were not happy to see the Romans. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say, if you are, if you're a person who's like, oh, that's something I've never heard of and I like history stuff, there is a gazillion books and documentaries and all sorts of such about the Ninth Legion. So, um, mm. so I was kind of waiting for a shout out about where Bill had seen it. Mm. If you see what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, but that, that it kind of didn't go to that step. So, um, mm. I wonder sort of like, cause I think she said she'd read the book and she loved the book. So I don't know whether she's mm. actually seen the movie, but I don't know whether, mm. so yeah, well, no, I was going to say, I don't know whether there's any sort of BBC guidelines to say that you can't like name drop. The information page about, you know, the, all the stuff about the Ninth Legion, there was a BBC serial made of the book. Oh, right. So, hmm. you know, but again, they don't really reference the BBC, but they do because there's been BBC news on the show before. So I don't yeah. know, but hmm. maybe because it, it's all mostly these adaptations come from a book by a lady called Rosemary Sutcliffe, which is yeah. from 1954. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, but there's a bunch of stuff. So I was kind of waiting for Bill to say, oh, you know, this or that thing. But hmm. because, they, you know, last episode, they shouted out by name several films, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's, it's these. I always talk like a bit nebulous about like the BBC's guidelines on like impartiality. Mm. So you know, it, obviously like um, one of the like running jokes sometimes in like the DVD commentaries from like the the older like new series box sets is you know other the other commentaries are available. You know, so the BBC aren't showing yeah. like, favoritism. Um, but yeah, you're right there that um, that did they did like name drop those those movies. As well yeah. as I remember, like in Shakespeare Code, you know, the Tenth yeah. Doctor specifically mentions Harry Potter. I mean, obviously, at the time it didn't have an actual title, but you know, it, the Seventh it... Book was imminent at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I remember because because oh, it was when I was, um, yeah, it's I remember <laughs> it was just as it was about to to drop. I think it was yeah. kind of soon, wasn't it, when it was being made? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, but I think obviously because they make it you know, like 10 months, it was written kind of 10 mm. months in advance. Obviously everyone knew the seventh book was coming, but no one knew what it was called, called. yet. Yes. Yeah. That's why I get so, a slightly wonky line of the doctor saying, oh, wait, wait to read book seven. So, yeah. you know, you can't really fix that though. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe just, um, 
maybe they sort of like had to try and keep it nebulous so it didn't like really look like they were like really like like plugging it properly. Do you know what I mean? Like if mm. if Understand, yeah. Bill had like named the book in full and mentioned the author, maybe that would have been like a bit of a shill or something. Mm, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. But, but so, anyway. I mean, um, I, I did, I did like Bill in this one a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, again, maybe a bit of the character, just writing from the character notes stuff. Mm. Um, when she's kind of hanging out with our, with our, fra- our remnants of the ninth, mm-hmm. um, she does mention that she's gay. Yeah. Um, again, you know, Rhoda, you know, you imagine Rhoda Moreau's going looking at the character sheet, going, "Okay, that thing, that thing, that thing." Right, we'll get that in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I did, I did love that the the Roman legionaries are completely fine with it. And yeah, well, as they were, fine, as they were, yeah, as they were and back Bill, in the day. And sort of, yeah, yeah, and sort of finding Bill's attitude a tiny bit <laughs> parochial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. That was that was a bit because it was one of those again, like you say, like going off the character sheet. It was one of those moments it was starting to get like a bit clunky. In the way mm. it sort of handles, and a lot of people sort of do sort of compare as oh the the bashing us over the head with Bill's sexuality and all that, because um, you you know like most heterosexual relationships in media portrayed really subtly you know yeah absolutely, um, but um, yeah no I did like the fact that um, um, I, I, what what was the um, the commander's name I don't did he do we actually get to hear his name. I know you named some of the others, but uh, I can't remember. Anyway, the the lead dude, Lucius. Oh, Lucius. Lucius. Yeah, that's probably yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I like it. So he says, "Yo, no, it's it's okay. You like what you like, and um, you know." <laughs> and when Bill says, "Oh, it's all very modern as well," you know. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, you know, it's a nice I, little I twist. Think- yeah, you know what we regard as ancient civilizations were much more cool with it than mm. than we are now. Yeah. Um. So it it made complete sense, and yeah. yeah I mean, why not? I mean, I'm sure you know. Obviously, us being two cis mm. heterosexual people, um, you know, we're kind of viewing this through an outside lens. But you know, I'm sure it's um, it's a thing that people feel the need that they have to clarify because yeah. you don't know what reaction you're going to get if you don't come out with that mm-hmm. up front. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I absolutely get what you mean. Like, representation does matter, you know. I have yeah. no problem with it. It's just, I think yeah. sometimes, like you say, just going off the character sheets, sometimes it gets worked yeah. in a little bit sort of, like, clumsily. Like So, like, say, like, extremists and um, Pyramid at the End of the World when Bill was on her date... Yeah, like that's you know that's that was like sort of more natural, um, but I mean obviously also yeah you know Bill's sort of assuming that Lucius is coming on to it, and he probably is as well because you know it's clearly well his his dialogue implies he's bisexual, bisexual. yeah 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 no it's it, it was actually really well handled it was just one of those things where it started to like think oh this is going to be a bit clumsy you know but um, I think Ronan Monroe paid it off in the end. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was it was it it worked out really well. Yeah. Um, the main means that was by, by design. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I said I did quite like the the lads of the Ninth Legion. I thought they were they were sort of although you know pretty basically sketched out. Hmm. I did prefer those guys and that sort of that they're hanging out with Bill. Yeah. Um, kind of a bit more than the picks because. Hmm. Um, they just have an angry shouty girl in charge <laughs> who really doesn't go beyond angry shouty girl. Mm. And, you know, she has that one 
one kind of hanger on who's angry shouty girls kind of you know um like i say he's kind of uh, second in command and yeah, then brother, a lot of bl- yeah, yeah yeah i think so and then a lot of people with blue drawn on their face mm. and that's about it yeah so you say you're nitpicking then oh <sighs> how long have you been waiting to say that has it been all day yeah <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> sorry i had to get that out there Oh, good. It was a good one. It's yeah, a good one. Um, um, but, I, mean, uh, I did yeah. quite like Car, though. I mean, especially when the bits, like, where her guard drops. And mm. you can tell that her bravado is pretty much that. And she knows she's mm. fucked up. Because basically, she's the one who's unleashed the Eater of Light onto the world. I mean, you can sort of, like, see why she did it. Because, you know, you've got 5,000 highly trained soldiers up against a bunch of farmers, basically. You know, technically speaking, they shouldn't stand a chance. But because they've got the guard dog in the attic, like the doctor says, you know, desperate times and all that. But unfortunately, it's come back and bitten it. Mm. And so she has to, like, yeah. pay to it. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think just for me, I'm, I'm, I think, you're, you're, you know, you are right that mm. she kind of does soften up. But for me, she just kind of, I mean, especially in Doctor Who, mm. she is the generic angry tribes person in, in yeah. the bunch. Because you always have, you know, the one who's on board with the Doctor, the one who's kind of, you know, backing them up. And then you have the one that stays angry throughout mm-hmm. and only changes their mind right at the end. Yeah. And she and was you, kind of that one. Yeah, and you didn't really sort of like get the first two either because apart from... From, like, like we say, her brother. Very few of the picks actually got any lines. I think, don't think any of the other picks got any lines, did they? I don't know. They Not did. really. Mm. I mean, would this? I mean, okay. So, fantasy, you know, story right. rewrite time of the podcast. Would this episode have been better without the picks? Hmm. If they just, if they just found the remnants of the Ninth Legion, it had been wiped out by this thing that had escaped. It was in a cairn. They've killed all the picks, so there's no guardian left, hmm. right? And it's got out. Yeah. Would like I say, if you just took the picks out of it, yeah, would this be better? Hmm. Hmm. That's a different one because they never you know, use. Yeah. I I kind of feel like if the Doctor adjusts, you know, we could still have the stuff with Bill getting, you know, Mm -hmm. you could have the Doctor being captured by maybe the... I mean, but then it's a bit too much like last week. Yeah. Because that's the problem, actually. It's too much like last week if you do Mm. that. Yeah. Because you could have, you know, the Doctor going and finding some one part of the ninth. Bill ends up with kind of the the chickens who ran away. And then you have this conflict between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the Doctor can get all righteous and shouty because they've killed the guardian mm-hmm. the pick guardian who was keeping an eye on the this sort of wibble in in space that's here yeah. um because i just like to say because i found the, the picks entirely generic yeah and just there to cause a problem mm-hmm. and for the for someone to, for the doctor to talk to yeah um i i don't know i just because i was sort of more i was much more into the to the guys that bill was hanging out with mm. and, and kind of found, found them more engaging yeah no, I definitely see what you mean. Um, yeah, I think you're right. But again, like like you say, it probably would have been far too reminiscent of last week. And I think if that had happened, I don't, I don't know if I would have. I mean, I, I did enjoy the episode, but I don't I know. Well, whether, did as well. I, I don't know if it, I think. You, although the Picts are sort of very sort of loosely sketched. I mean, as the, as are the Romans, but I think having the Picts there like give it a slightly different flavor 
Mm. You know, I think I think it yeah. needs something else to sort of differentiate itself from Empress of Mars. I mean, obviously, mm. you know, Rona Monroe and Mark Gates were hardly like to be swapping notes back and forth. But I think here's a question for you, actually. Right, go for it. Do you, do you think this episode should have been a little bit earlier in the series? Yeah, I was just thinking that. So what if this was episode three or four? Yeah. Because then, or maybe even episode two, because then it's a bit more getting to know Bill. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, the thing is, you can't put it in episode two because then that's too much in the past. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want to move, um, what do you call it? Um, They're nice. Yeah, I wouldn't want to move Thin Ice. Mm. Um, maybe maybe swap this and Knock Knock. Yeah. I mean, I don't think don't think it's too late in the in the day for Knock Knock to be here. Mm. Actually, in a, in the episode ten slot. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you could definitely do that. Mm-hmm. But then you'd have to like um, cut out uh, Missy at the end, though. Then you have to cut out Missy at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is a problem, but mm-hmm. but it's um, it's kind of easily done, really. Yeah, I think you could fiddle with it sufficiently that you could, uh, you you could, um, hmm. you could make it work. I think. Yeah, because I mean, it's just the the what sort of brought that up in my mind was that obviously the fact that Nardole's mentioning the vault. I mean, obviously, you know, he would assume that Missy's gotten put back in since Empress of Mars, um, but also it was Bill's bit where she realised the TARDIS automatically translates any languages because although. Maybe he's, you know, because obviously you know you have like um, oxygen where you mm. have like the because she hasn't really met any sort of aliens until oxygen where you had like the blue dude, right? Yeah. So it it makes it kind of makes sense for her to have this realization now because she might just like assume when in oxygen that everybody there just spoke English, but mm. here where she knows the Roman soldier would speak Latin. Mm. Then it sort of clicks. Uh, so, uh, you know, some people were like saying, like, why did it take us so long to realise until now? But, you know, with the events of Oxygen and all that, and the fact that, again, Bill really hasn't had that many trips in the TARDIS in this series. No, so, she hasn't really. So it sort of makes sense that now she's in a, a, a situation where she would realise that something's happening because obviously like i say obviously because the 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 centurion would speak latin yeah yeah um then she would realize that the the tardis also translates things um so in in a way yeah there's a lot of elements where this would be best suited earlier in the series but at the same time you know this this could be like placed anywhere really It It really it just seems a bit egregious because you know, we're in the the final third of the series now, final quarter yeah. even. Final quarter, yeah. Well, I'll say it's the final countdown now. I mean, so yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I think even if you go back to any companions first series, mm-hmm. you you get things like this. I mean, looks look, let's look yeah. at things like um um what do you call it um oh bloody brain please work um the one with Sophia Miles in it why don't oh go in the fireplace go in the fireplace right yes yeah. so if you look at things like go in the fireplace mm-hmm. and you look at the previous episode the relationship with Mickey and Rose yes. is is all to cock because mm-hmm. Sue and Moffat had no idea that's where the story was going to go yeah so in go in the fireplace they're they're 
you know their relationship is fine whereas the previous episode is really not hmm. so um that's what you know if you really wanted sort of a, a big sort of sore thumb example yeah you know that when you're getting writing from this kind of just sketch rather than you've mm. watched a whole year of this per- of this companion and doctor and their their story yeah so you can use that to write whereas you know unfortunately you're going to get little things like this and empress of mars where they would they're just writing from a crib sheet essentially mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah and you know I, in a way actually i think it's probably good that we're not just using you know bill going oh i saw this film on netflix doctor let's go here this week yeah <laughs> yeah that could have gone very tight and very quickly well, it'd be very, it'd be very, very retro. It'd be very mm. first series. Yeah, oh, that's true. Like, <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll say this for series ten. I'm mm. kind of like impressed they haven't tried to do like the Father's Day thing again. Like, mm. although you know Bill has access to a time machine, there's been not one mention or even inkling of her going back and trying to meet a mum. No, um, yet. Yes. You know, we've still got two episodes well, yes, left to go. And we, you know, and, we, you know, we might be waiting for some sort of emotional gut punch in World Enough and Time and things, mm-hmm. you know. So let's, you know, let's keep our powder dry on that score. Yeah. But, but you're, you're, you know, you're exactly right again that um, I'm sure the temptation has been there to, mm. to, to, to do a Father's Day. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got to say that, I mean, something that we've sort of brought up before Although I, I'm really, I, I love Bill as a companion. Mm-hmm. She's been like her backstory is is so weird, and the way that they the way that they're using it is is mad strange to me, mm-hmm. because every every other companion that we've had so far, yeah. right? Yeah, we've we've had backstory for them, mm-hmm. and we've you know we've we've been, had a glimpse into their lives, and their lives come into the show. And a part of the plot, mm-hmm. but Bill's—it's like you know—it's like that sort of thing when you go to an induction course at work and they make you stand up and say your name and then one mm-hmm. thing, like three interesting things about you, and then it never comes up again. Yeah, it's—that's it, what it feels like with Bill. It's mm-hmm. like this is Bill. Her mum died when she was really young. She lives with this awful bitch who you know has had <laughs> ten minutes of screen time, and. <laughs> You know, and she is gay, and ten minutes too many. <laughs> ten minutes too many, and you know she's super clever, and she serves chips at the university, and then that's it. Mm. We haven't had iota a, a lot of thing about you know anything about Bill's life or her circumstances or anything mm. in the series, and I'm it's it, it. I don't know if it's a reaction of. Obviously, a Moffat to the kind of the extreme nerd wing of Doctor Who fandom, who, mm. um, you know, and I know some people who are who are in this this mindset of, I'm sick and tired of you know it being about the companion and the you know their daddy issues or this mm. or that, you know their shitty boyfriend or you know their mm. crappy job. Uh, you know, I kind of just want it to be this and that, and they go on an adventure. Mm. And that kind of feels like what they've decided to do with Bill. But, but you know, we've had stuff in Knock Knock and Smile and the pilot, and but it none of it's been followed through, and I just find it so bizarre. Mm. I wonder if part of it has to come with the fact that 
what what I don't know whether we've actually mentioned this, but Stephen Moffat was supposed to leave at the end of series nine, or yes, with um, I think with Husbands of River Song. I mean, it's mm. definitely got that sort of feel to it, but because Chris Chibnall was in the run to succeed him, but he was still busy doing Broadchurch, Moffat had to stay on another year. So I wonder if it's just, I wonder if it's just because of the nature of how series 10 has sort of come to pass where you've got to sort of like fill in, you have to like throw in a companion and you know, you don't know whether Peter Capaldi's staying or going beyond this or, and all that. Um, that's maybe why we've got these sort of sort of bullet points about Bill because you know you, you don't you sort of like have to presume that Chibnall's going to come into this with a complete clean slate. Yeah. So the question is, do you want to get people attached to a companion if they're only going to stick around for one year? I mean, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that Bill might, although you know Pearl Mac has been brilliant. Mm. I'm kind of worried that she might end up sort of being kind of like Martha 2.0. Yeah, because, she's going to end up on the scrap heap. Yeah, because, I mean, Rose, you had two years with her. So mm. you got to know her a bit more. Donna, we already had previous with her in Runaway Bright. She appeared in the show previous before proper companionship. And, you know, since then she's sort of like changed from where she first appeared. Amy and Rory were like two and a half years. Clara was two years, you know, two and a half years as well. So I think because it's likely that Pearl Mackie and her character of Bill might be a one and done. I mean, again, we don't know. She might get uh, she might get signed up with Chibnall's tenure, but, you know, again, we don't know. So maybe it's just a case of they have to keep it like they're trying to keep it basic because yeah. they don't know what's going to happen to her next either she goes mm-hmm. with, with you know they just wipe everyone out clean slate mm-hmm. um or you know they leave a they, they leave it kind of blank for Chibnall to do something with yeah yeah i, I mean the thing is though martha had you know, had her family and you know mm. had the stuff about her job and obviously but i think a lot of the problem with Martha is that she was the rebound. Yeah, that's true. She was the rebound girlfriend after Rose. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously Martha doesn't have that baggage because the 12th Doctor doesn't remember Clara. Yeah. So we we haven't got that whole big dump of stuff mm. with, you know, having her having to carry that weight. Yeah, that's true. But I just I just feel, you know, I think because we, we, we talked about it's lie than land because the mum stuff doesn't pay off. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't had that journey with her. Yeah. Because, like I say, apart from mum died when she was young, mm-hmm. nothing else. Yeah. And you know, I'm you know, I think that obviously because we're you know, I, you know, we're likely to do a big review of series ten, but mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, depending on what comes up in the next couple of episodes. Yeah. But this has been a real game of two halves, and I don't know for me so far that we have sort of a definite demarcation from the pilot to extremis mm-hmm. from the pyramid at the end of the world to the end of the series. I mean, like I say, obviously, depending on what happens in the next two. Yeah. But this, like I say, this middle third mm-hmm. compared to what's happened before, it's like it's been written in two different chunks or with two mm. different ideas in mind 
or I mean, because you know, you sort of you kind of almost wish for a writer's tale because part of me thinks was was there like some grand plan for Bill, mm-hmm. and like you say, there was going to be like a Father's Day s kind of show in there, yeah. and we kind of haven't had this payoff because of the backs the the, the stuff that's happening behind the scenes mm-hmm. that they've you know that Moffat stayed for an extra year. So is it like is it a case of the Claras that we've we've got this character mm-hmm. and we've got to do something with her for at least another year? So yeah. let's and you know and then all the problems with the characterization kind of piled on top of it. Mm. So yeah, I mean I was going to say my big criticism of this episode mm-hmm. is that it is extremely you know it's I don't want to say wrote or by the numbers because that is, is kind of disrespectful but mm-hmm. probably one of the most like I say just straightforward monster of the week yeah um a Doctor Who kind of episodes mm-hmm. that we may have had in the whole the whole 10 year run yeah um which is not bad in and of itself, but the no, problem no. is it's following on from Empress of Mars, which was kind of the same. So I think yes. the problem is the just back to back. So I think yeah. it is of like sort of suffers because it's so much like the one that was before it. I think that's why I say yes. I wonder whether this should have been placed a in a different spot in the series. So like at if least you swap this if, with Smile or something. Yeah, so if something like breaks breaks them up or separates them out between or something like if you bookended like the Monks trilogy with those with Empress of Mars and Eaters of Light and then yeah. that's sort of like crowbar separation then it doesn't feel as rote do you know what I mean yeah I mean I think for me the the character stuff kind of and the 12th Doctor kind of elevate kind of a pretty like I say a pretty basic episode because mm. like I say you don't I mean although you, I've sort of enjoyed the Ninth Legion bits you don't really know you don't really get to know these lads very much yeah no. extremely the same with the Picts mm-hmm. um, I mean but I, I thought you know Matt Lucas again no he's one of those things of I've I've really I think one of the actual great touches of series 10 front to back has been the use of Matt Lucas mm-hmm. because he he, ju- he seems to be in there so just the right amount every time I yeah. don't know what it is like, but they seem to pitch it really excellently mm. sort of every, every sort of every episode he's been in it's not been too much or not enough if yeah. you see what I mean it's well, been kind of well Matt Lucas is pretty yeah Matt Lucas is pretty prolific on sort of British television really isn't it so mm. you know you, one would assume that they've like watched like stuff like Shooting Stars and you know Come Fly With Me and all of the body of work so they might have like an idea of how much is too much but also you get the fact of you know, he really can act. He's not just doing, like, a silly, squeaky voice all the time. You know, again, mm. um, with Oxygen at the end, when he's really, like, pissed off with the Doctor. And mm. that was... I mean, that's still, to me, the standout Nardal moment for the series yeah. so far. Mm. Because it, it just... Was... Because it just shows yeah. that, you know, Matt Lucas is not just a comedian. Making up the numbers. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I really appreciate that, you know... that. Doctor Who has always, from from minute one, has had the the big problem with the companion who knows too much, mm. right? Yeah. So because you have to have a companion who, you know, has to be the audience surrogate up to a point. Yeah. So when you have, you know, you know, Liz Shaw, you know, example one A mm-hmm. of the the companion who you, you don't need to do this for. Mm. So they kind of get marginalised because they're occupying the same space as the Doctor, but. The way they use him in that, you know, the Doctor's been gone for two days and in that time, Nardole was kind of 
broed down with the picks to the point of getting his own woad on and telling them kind of stories and stuff and they don't bother to explain that but it's great yeah because you don't need to because it's like okay nold i'll just worked it out with these lads and it it works yeah well it's the same thing with um i think um return of dr mysterio when the mm. doctor like summons like whistles for the TARDIS to arrive, and you know Nardole's like dressed up and he says, "Well, I ended up with Constantinople for a couple of years, you know, as as their <laughs> ruler." Oh, it's the sort of like thing you can actually see him doing. It's sort doing. of yeah, yeah. it's sort of, like an established sort of trait of his somehow. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it, but it it solves that companion who knows too much problem really well mm-hmm. because. It, it kind of gives you a handy shortcut yeah. in, in places that, you know, it saves you five minutes of the Doctor having to do that. Yeah, he's sort of like the middleman, really. He is, yeah. He's not, he's not, like, broaching the levels of technobabble that the Doctor would come up with, but at the same time he knows a bit more than the human companion, because he obviously he's yeah. been around a bit. Not as much as the Doctor, so... In a way, that's it's but enough of, that enough that yeah. he goes out of the TARDIS in his gym jams. Yeah, he's not bothered to that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think that it's it's, it's you know our, you know all of the episodes, no matter what our criticism, even the ones we haven't really liked, mm-hmm. he's been a, a real strong point in it. I mean, yeah. I mean, my concerns about Bill's character aside, mm-hmm. Pearl Mackey's performance is good enough that you don't care. Yeah. I mean, especially like the bit when she's like trying to like rally the the le- the I'm say legionnaires, the uh, centurions. She would really legionnaires, I suppose. But um, never mind. When she says, you know, if you come with me, I can't promise that you all won't die, but mm. at least you won't be dying in a hole in the ground. Like that bit was really great, and yeah, mm. I mean, it's absolute shout out to Bill Mackie. She really does like sell. You know, she's. She's not like standing up on a rock and going, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. She's going, look, here's the score. Yeah, he's you know, being his, real. Yeah, yeah, being real. Yeah. And, you know, I really, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, you kind of get this, especially in Modern Who, this this kind of idea of the, of the companion kind of taking on doctor traits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one example of, you know, her sort of, you can see her sort of, chewing it over and then going okay this is what i need to do to to kind of get out of this hot of this cave and and we'll need to do something else mm-hmm. um but again peter capaldi great as always yeah. um I, I wonder if we're setting up a bit for for next episode where the the doctor's unending boner for self-sacrifice <laughs> um reveals itself here again mm-hmm. as he uh, prepares to spend another gazillion years standing at a gate um which he decided not to do but wants to take on with this lot because <laughs> i don't know the doctor uh, yeah yeah i that 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 bit was sort of a bit sort of weird because i was just like assuming they would just find a way to like just collapse the the portal or whatever but yeah. the fact that he was gonna sort of like, just go and stand in the rift and fight off the the eaters for the rest of his uh the rest of his days i thought it was a mm. bit sort of like it's not like our left field a bit. You know what I mean? It is. I don't like. Yeah, there's another thing you're supposed to be guarding forever, mate. Yeah. You know, you've got, you can't do two. Yeah, but um, I suppose we really should get on to like the last five ten minutes of the show, where we get Missy back. Yeah. An um, extended kind of ending piece, which I was quite surprised by actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I one thing that sort of like 
it's, I don't know if it's necessarily criticism, but it's just sort of stand out for me is that when the doctor's like sort of saying, you know, that's that's the problem with hope. It's it's hard it's hard to resist, and you know he's mm. he's contemplating whether they become friends again. So clearly he doesn't quite trust her that well, but he trusts her enough to leave her on board the TARDIS where she can do some basic maintenance. What happened mm. the last time the Master had access to the Doctor's TARDIS? Oh wait, the Paradox Machine. Yeah, but oh, but you know what made me think of what's that? Screamer Shalker. Ah, that's true. Because it's you know in in that the Master is basically being kept as. Mm. you know a repair man for the TARDIS as the doctor tries to rehabilitate him or keep him you know contained that's true yes so once again the the kind of into who years weird <laughs> things get referenced above everything else mm. yeah no, i forgot about screaming the shalker actually um everybody does yeah. <laughs> poor old shalker yeah um <laughs> But it just, it just seems a bit... I mean, it does make sense because that was what the 10th Doctor was planning to do with the Master originally anyway. Yes. Keep him on board the TARDIS. And at least there, I don't I don't know, maybe it's like the Doctor feels a bit better about keeping Missy inside the TARDIS rather than just in the vault, even though like, the vault's pretty secure. Yeah. Like, at least if he keeps her in the TARDIS, at least it's like he's playing on his terms. And not the yeah. terms of, you know, the the group of priests or whoever they were who demanded he execute her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, I mean, obviously it, it made more sense with the Tenth Doctor because mm-hmm. he truly thought that, you know, there's basically you and me, mate, and there's no one else. Yeah. But, I mean, the Twelfth Doctor knows that isn't the case up to mm. a point. So, you know, that kind of... I don't know because it, it could, you could sort of frame it as there's kind of no Time Lord like him... Mm. Other than the master, yeah, you know that you you kind of get the impression that you know the 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 time lords are kind of so insular that you know the the doctor and the master, to, yeah, yeah, they're sort of the only two, you know, or maybe if you're going to be generous, you could, you know, if you really want to dig into the law, you know, if we ever find out more about the corsair mm-hmm. who seems to have been a bit begad about town, yeah. Um, uh, it's it, they're truly you know two sides of the same time lord coin if you see what I mean. Mm. So maybe you know we've still got this thing of the doctor is desperate for kind of companionship on the same level, yeah, as him, and the master is the only one mm-hmm. who can fulfil that role. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, again, that that sort of weird that weird chemistry between him and Michelle Gomez. Mm. I'm so into it. Yeah. So yeah, more of that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, part of me is like, it wouldn't it have been nice if we just had a two-hander between them two? Yeah, that would have, that would have been interesting, just to yeah. see like how how well like if Missy is legit about sort of going straight, like how well she can keep to the the straight and narrow path, as it were, because mm. you can you can see like a few. Like instances dotted throughout the series where if she had sort of technically been the companion, where it would have been so easy for her to just like default to like normal behaviour yeah. patterns and basically throw a spanner in the works. Yeah, well, so isn't it interesting in that regard that I mean, mm. I in they sort of for Missy they've been treating her, or well, they've been treating her like an addict, right? You know, yeah. this whole thing of her like she's going cold turkey from being a baddie, mm-hmm. in that it's like an addiction. And as she sort of spends longer and longer not doing the usual things, her realization of of you know the her conscience has kind of woken up again, and the realization of the things she's done and she's crying mm-hmm. about it and things like that. 
you know, I, I describe the doctor as an addict also. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we'd had a two hander between the two of them and they mm-hmm. sort of explored that, that notion of yeah. the doctor being sort of addicted, but to a slightly st- a different ideal mm-hmm. than the, the Missy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would have, I think that's a, that's a pretty meaty episode to be having. So mm. and because like helped one another with their own sort of like addictions. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm, I'm, you know, obviously we've, we've still got two episodes to go. We don't know what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of me kind of wishes that, um, we'd had something like that. Yeah. Again, I wonder if it's just because of the whole nature of series ten. It's sort of mm. it, it. Although it's been pretty good, I have to. Oh admit. yeah. Um, but it's been it, a game. Of, for me, it's been a game of two halves. Yeah, really. it, it seems to be a sort of like a bit mis mismatched somehow. Yeah. Like it would have been nice if this had sort of been the plan going in, rather than yeah. sort of like becoming a sort of maybe it's an afterthought. Which, I mean, I don't really call it an afterthought because that's not fair because. The stuff between Capaldi and Gomez has been brilliant, mm. but it's all like, oh, couldn't they not have done that instead? I think it's both like hindsight's twenty twenty and all that, you know. Oh, absolutely, it is. Yeah. But hey ho. Um. So, was there anything else about Eaters of Light you wanted to talk about, or Eaters of Light? No. Um. We've got one tiny little bit of feedback from our our good mate Tony Boydell about the Empress of Mars. Okay. Um. Because we recorded kind of early in the week last week, so. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have time to squeeze this in, but um, yeah, it, he says my new favourite episode of the series. Gaius is pretty mm. good at the Victorian stuff, so Lucifer <laughs> Box, which is one of his uh, book series that he did, mm-hmm. um, and this was proper reminiscent of my young days watching Tom Baker. And there was Defro, a TB voice from Capaldi. After the disappointments of the last few weeks, it was such a lot of fun. Nine out of ten. Mm. So I think he liked it a, a chunk more than we did. So, yeah. but yeah, I can I can definitely uh, see where he's coming from in that. So, mm-hmm. um, but no no other feedback for uh, Eaters of Light yet. So uh, okay. obviously, if we get any of that, we shall stick it in later. Yes. So, what are you going to score this one? Six for me. Um, there was some definitely some enjoyable bits, um, and you know I liked as I, you know there's bits I liked, and you know I liked the legionaries and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it was just a little bit too pat, a tiny bit too mm-hmm. generic, bit monster of the week for me. So, yeah, six out of ten. Yeah, I think I think the same six. I think it probably would have been served better again if it had been placed in a different spot in the series rather than coming off Empress of Mars because mm-hmm. like, again they're they're very similar. Yeah, it's a shame because I did enjoy it, but mm. I think it could have been easily been a seven for me if it had just been like somewhere else in the series. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think I, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think yeah, I think it's just a little bit too kind of could have been it could have been any doctor any time mm-hmm. um, and anywhere in the series and yeah, it's one of those ones that it kind of along with. Oh, there's there's other stories that we've had before that you know if you come to rewatch it you, you would go oh that one mm. and not and kind of not be psyched to watch it if you see what I mean but yeah. that's, that's just me I, you know I'm sure there's people sitting here at home listening to this who are blown away by it hmm. and that's entirely that's entirely fine you know I'm not gonna you know disrespect that notion but uh, for me this is uh, just a tiny bit um, you know just beige no oh, that's that's fair. Um, so indeed if you have any thoughts about the Eaters of Light you can send them to us at our regular email address greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com to our Twitter account at greatestshowpod and our Facebook page facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast 
Whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out our sister shows on the network, Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, Do Ask, Do Tell, Back Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Take It or Leave It, The Seventh Chevron, The Little Pod of Horrors, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense with Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, For Those About to Rock, Dangerously Unprepared, and Starbase 66. As always, we welcome your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. From monthly fee of just £6, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive to Simply Everything shows Shaken Not Stirred, and repertoire spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. Simply Syndicated also runs a merchandise store offering apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. You can also support the network through a monthly page on Patreon, or you can donate to the network through paypal.me, of which links are both on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye.